0: Alright, hello cyberpunks. I'm your host, Brendan Lupus Damon-Sandifer, and welcome to our cyberpunk podcast where we discuss various cyberpunk media. With me today we have Barry. Hello. Grim. Hello. Matt. Hi, hi. Randy. Hello. Sammy. Hello. Tilly. Howdy. And our special guest is the father of Grim and I, Greg.
1: And my levels are lighting up like they should be good. We had a bit of a false start. So, yeah. Yes. Deleted footage. Moving on.
0: All right. All right. So today we will discuss Blade Runner 2049, a 2017 sequel to the movie Blade Runner, uh, if you couldn't tell. And it was directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve with an all-star cast of Ryan Gosling and Harrison Ford including Anna de Armas, Sylvia Hoax, um, Robin Wright, Mackenzie Davis, Carla Jury, Lenny James, Dave Batista, and Jared Leto. This film had a budget of $150 million and made $259.3 million at the box office. As always, um, if you haven't seen it, Go watch it and then come back for our discussion. And Barry, it's time to throw that uh, spoiler tag up because we're moving on to the
1: plot. Ah, uh, yes, of <laughs> course. Let me know when you're ready. Oh, just start. I'll just if uh, people are looking to see me type it out as you're talking, which it's alright. <laughs> all right. So in
0: 2049. K, short for his serial number, KD6-3.7. A Nexus 9 replicant works for the Los Angeles Police Department as a KD6-3.7. Ah,
1: okay, thank you.
0: A Nexus 9 replicant (coughs) works for the Los Angeles Police Department as a Blade Runner an officer who haunts and retires rogue replicants. <clears throat> uh, he retires Sapper Morton and finds a box buried under a tree at a protein farm. The box contains the remains of a female replicant who died during a cesarean section, demonstrating that replicants can produce biologically previously thought impossible. Kay's Kay's superior, Lieutenant Joshi, fears that this could lead to a war between humans and replicants. She orders Kay to find and retire the replicant child to hide the truth. He, uh, He visits the Wallace Corporation's headquarters and the successor of the defunct Tyrell Corporation in the manufacture of replicants. Um, Wallace staff members identify the deceased female from DNA archives as Rachel, an experimental replicant designed by Dr. Tyrell. Kay learns of Rachel's romantic ties with former Blade Runner Rick Deckard, Wallace CEO uh, Niander Wallace, wants to discover the secret to replicant reproduction to expand an interstellar colonization colonization. My brain's reading faster than my mouth can. He sends his replicant enforcer, Love, to steal Rachel's remains and follow Kay to Rachel's child. At Morton's farm, Kay sees the I swear I'm hearing someone's speakers. Uh, That's probably... That might be me. Okay. I'll go push to talk. Uh, At Morton's farm, Kay sees the date 6... June 10th, 21, which is coming up, carved into the tree trunk and recognizes it from a childhood memory of a wooden toy horse. Because replicants' memories are artificial, Kay's holographic AI girlfriend, is it Joy or Joey? I think it's Joy. Uh, joy. joy. Yeah, definitely Joy. Joy believes that uh, believes this is evidence that Kay was not born or was born not created. He searches LAPD records and discovers twins born on that date with identical DNA, aside from the sex chromosome, but only the boy is listed as alive. Kay tracts the child to an orphanage in ruined San Diego, but discovers the records from that year to be missing. Kay recognizes the orphanage from his memories and finds the toy horse where he remembers hiding it. Dr. Anna Stellan, a replicant memory designer, confirms that the memory of the orphanage is real, leading Kay to conclude that he is Rachel's son. At LAPD headquarters, Kay uh, fails a post-traumatic baseline test, marking him as a rogue replicant. He lies to Joshi by implying he killed the replicant child. Joshi-, Joshi gives Kay 48 hours to disappear and at joy's request he reluctantly transfers her to a mobile emitter so he cannot be tracked through her console memory files he has the toy horse analyzed revealing traces of radiation that lead to the ruins of Las Vegas there he finds Decker who tells him that He is the father of Rachel's child and scrambled birth records to protect protect the child's identity. Deckard left the child in the custody of the Replicant Freedom Movement. Let's see here. After this, Love Kills (laughs) Joe. She Joy and leaves Kay to die. Uh, The Replicant Freedom Movement rescues Kay.
1: deliver Rachel's child
0: and that the child was a girl. Kay understands that he is not Rachel's child, deduces that uh, Stelline is her daughter and that the memory of the toy horse is hers, one she implanted amongst those of other replicants whose memories she designed. To prevent Deckard from leading Wallace to Stelline or the freedom movement, Freysa asks Kay to kill Deckard for all replicants greater good. Love takes Deckard to Wallace. Uh, Wallace offers Deckard a clone of Rachel in exchange for revealing what he knows. Deckard refuses and the clone is killed. As Love transports Deckard to be tortured and interrogated off-world, Kay intercepts Love's shuttle and tries to rescue Deckard. He fights love and manages to drown her, but he is mortally wounded. He stages Deckard's death to protect him from Wallace and the replicant freedom movement, before taking Deckard to Stellan's office and handing him her toy horse. As Kay lies motionless on the steps, looking up at the snowing sky, Deckard enters the building and meets his daughter for the first time. Alright, so... Now that the plot summary is over, and before we move on to our discussion, I do have some fun facts. Mm -hmm. So, fun fact number one. David Bowie was director Dennis Villeneuve's first choice for the role of Niander Wallace, Uh but he died uh, shortly before the shooting. That would have been interesting. Yeah, Yeah, that was my favorite fun fact of the movie. (laughs) 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 Gary Old. Oldman and Ed
2: Harris. Yeah, because he was in the Prestige, and he did such a great job, I could have seen him pull it off
0: no problem. Also Labyrinth, of course. Matt, you're getting a little robot yeah. Oh, Roger. let me take a step to the left. How about now? You're a little better now.
2: Okay.
0: As I need, I was saying, I need, yeah, I need was to turn you up slightly.
2: As well as that of
0: Labyrinth. All right, there we go. All right. Uh... Gary Oldman and Ed Harris were also considered for the, for the role of Nyander Wallace. However, Jared Leto ended up getting the role and, in order to portray the character, decided to fit himself with opaque contact lenses that made it impossible
1: for him method to see. Acting. <laughs> method acting. Method yeah. <laughs> acting, Um What's wrong now, with method acting? I'm, prob- a, I'm a method actor.
3: Uh, it's... Jared Leto kind of takes it a bit to extremes. That's why he got into trouble was trying to play the Joker, because uh, yeah. he began to prank his his, his co actors ah. with some pretty in this sick pranks. I
1: this mean, case, I'm all for know, method acting, but
2: how difficult it was for him
1: to move around on set because he was, you know, blind. I'm all for method acting, but there's got to be a separation between practicing for your role and you as a person separate from your role.
3: Yeah, and he fails to see that.
1: Ah, right. right. So, a
3: good example of, it,
2: of doing it right and not method acting through it would be what the actor did for Daredevil, the uh, Netflix show, mm. where he learned, uh, he hung out with people that were blind all the time and learned kind of how they do things, how they move things and the rest of that.
1: Yeah. And he
2: practiced that so well, he could just stare off into the distance <laughs> without moving his eyes. Yeah. He didn't have to have... Special lenses fitted. He just realized what people are tend to do. Mm. Um, I think he did actually have lenses for the uh, the last part of this season because he had issues where he kept staring at people during action scenes. Uh. But for the first like half of the season, he didn't have to at all. Mm. All
0: right. So, um, fun fact number two: While shooting a fight scene, Harrison Ford accidentally punched Ryan Gosling in the face.
1: My second favorite fact of the movie. (laughs) Well, yeah, but
3: that was just Harrison Ford being Harrison
1: Ford. (laughs) That that, that, that
3: entire scene is Harrison Ford being Harrison Ford. Yeah,
1: that was the one in the hologram.
0: It was entirely Gosling's fault. Oh, yes, it was.
3: He wasn't on the
2: mark. He was supposed to you know, reacts, and he didn't, so he got punched.
0: (laughs) So do you know how... So, um, in other
3: words, Goslin have tacked Ford's fist with his face. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. So do you know how Harrison Ford apologized to him? Uh, Scotch. Yes. He he brought him a bottle of scotch. Like I said, Harrison
3: Ford being Harrison Ford. (laughs) He he he
0: poured a glass That's pretty much much uh, what happened uh, in uh, the film, so it worked out, I I guess. Everyone keeps talking over me. He poured Gosling a glass, and then he took the bottle with him when he left. Yeah. I'm still saying Harrison
3: Ford being Harrison Ford here. I mean, it's just...
1: Yeah, it is. Still, sharing a glass of scotch with Harrison Ford, okay. yeah, I'll take it.
0: Um, the first, fun fact number three, the first letter of the name of each of the wooden animals that Rick Deckard carved in this movie... Mm-hmm. which were a rhino, antelope, cat, horse, elephant, and lion spell Rachel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: And
3: I'm pretty yeah. sure that was deliberate.
0: I would imagine yes. so,
3: yes.
0: Very very
1: smart. Uh, since, another fun fact, that all of Rachel's scenes were completely secret during filming. Mm.
2: Yes. Even though she was on set to film uh, in her outfit again, which... I know people didn't realize that until they saw the making of, I thought it was her based on the voice. It was like, Oh my gosh, they got her to do this. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'm glad that David Milley uh, had such respect for the original to actually go that far.
1: <laughs> they could
2: have cast well, the younger actress. And,
0: um, <laughs> Ridley Scott was, uh, executive producer for this movie. I know he's much better as an executive producer than a director nowadays.
3: Yeah. <laughs> So, could I take a moment you know, actually,
2: you know who didn't write the script? Hold on.
0: There you go. Go ahead, Ryan. You're welcome. Hey, Randy.
3: I was going to say, do you, could I take a moment to talk about the history of the making of this film? Because mm. this film had been literally in the making for decades.
0: I will yes. allow it after we get through these fun facts. Okay. I still have four more.
3: Oh, okay. I thought, I thought that was more. one.
0: Um... So, number four, when Kay enters the hall where he first meets Rick, uh, we hear the same bell sounds as when Deckard enters the Bradbury building for his final showdown with Pris and Roy Batty in oh. Blade Runner. All right. Yep, I recognize this. Um, number five, policeman Kay's serial number is KD6-3.7. So it is PKD6 37. This pays homage to Philip K. Dick. Ah. Uh, yes. Um, Emily Blunt was considered for a role in this movie, but declined due to her pregnancy. Hmm.
3: That's a good reason. I believe that probably it would is a, yeah,
0: It's a very good reason. Okay, so Officer oh. K's flying car is a Peugeot, a oh. French automotive brand. All
3: right. Oh, yeah, they use a lot of real brands in here. Yeah.
0: And then our our very last fun fact before we move on to our discussion and Randy's long or lengthy um, <laughs> talk on the behind the scene or the making of Ryan Gosling and Jared Leto do not share a scene. In this movie. Hmm. Wait, who and who? Yeah. Gosling yeah, and Leto. Yeah, they never meet. No, Gosling, was it not? Leto. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, they don't. You're right.
3: Yeah, it's um, always love as the intermediary.
0: I will let Yeah, that's correct. Randy, go ahead and talk about the making of.
3: Okay. So when the original Blade Runner came out Nobody was expecting there to ever be a sequel to it. The book itself was a one-off, um, and initially, while it did well in its opening weekend, its overall box office wasn't that good for you know Warner Brothers to go, hey, we need to think about you know seeing a sequel. Mm-hmm. Then awards started coming in. <laughs> then. Um, ratings for what was coming out on premium channels for it started coming in and then the international numbers started coming in <laughs> and i think it was probably around 84 or 85 somebody warner brothers said hey we should probably make a sequel to this we would make some decent money
1: <laughs>
3: was, by that point philip k dick the author died four months prior to the release of the the original blade runner yes And had never written a sequel to it. Uh Uh-oh. At the same time, Ridley Scott, who directed it, was busy with his Aliens franchise and didn't want to do it. Whoops. So they're like, okay, so we've got no writer, no director, (laughs) no screenwriter. What are we going to do? So they moved it into development hell. And it went in and out of development hell for around ten years. We kept Welcome hearing news West. about it in the 90 going, hey, yeah, they've handed it to this guy to make the Blade Runner sequel. And then nothing ever got done, and it went back on the shelf. Finally, the I think reasons. around... Hello. Finally, I think around 98, 99, it just got put on the shelf and completely forgotten about until around 2014, 2015, when somebody said, you know, we should actually do this now.
1: mm <laughs> Well,
2: part of it was because of the fact that the uh, director himself, Ridley Scott, was so interested in fixing up the original film and actually getting his cut ready, the cut that he actually had some control over, and as long as he didn't have that, he refused to work on a sequel. And he can both find multiple interviews. He's like, I want nothing to do with it unless mm-hmm. I actually get my version of the original film. Mm-hmm. And... Eventually they caved in the early 2000s and that's when we got the final cut.
3: There were actual novels written that were the sequels to Blade Runner in the 90s. They were not official. They were written by somebody who claimed to be a friend of Philip K. Dix and he wrote three or four novels. Hmm. Um. But, you know, those were unofficial and they were obviously trying to cash in on the success of Blade Runner because instead of being the the sequel to Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, they were called Blade Runner 2, Blade Runner 3, (laughs) etc. And nobody took them seriously.
1: Of course, because the original wasn't called that, so they were patronizing.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. And then, you know, about 2003, 2004, um, cyberpunk died in popularity for a while. Um... You know, people got more into steampunk, other things, and it didn't come back until 2013, 2014. And that's when Warner Brothers said, you know, we're still sitting on this license. We should do something with it. (laughs) Um, And I can't remember, when was it that Ridley Scott finally got his version of Blade Runner out? Does anybody know?
2: 2010, I believe.
3: So at that point, the version was out they were able to talk to Ridley Scott and they were finally able to move it into actual um, I remember it in
2: 2010 I went to the theater uh, here in downtown uh, here in Dallas they had a showing for it because it was about to be released on uh, Blu-ray and DVD because Blu-ray was relatively new back in
1: 2010
2: mm-hmm. and uh, when it was coming out they're like you know, come see Blade Runner in the full screen for the first time, the, the final cut. It was like, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. So I went to go see it in theaters. Uh, me and my two film aficionado friends, we went and sat there and enjoyed watching the film. It's the first time I'd actually seen it was in 2010, because I didn't grow up with Blade Runner. I always heard it was good and influential, but that's all I knew.
3: I didn't get to OG, see it until the 90s.
2: The, uh, yeah, me neither. Like a, there's... Hello? Uh... Uh...
0: Hey Russ, and welcome back.
3: So, yeah, that's the that's kind of the behind the scenes of how long this thing dwelled in development hell at Warner Brothers. Mm. Um,
4: it sounds like it had worse development hell in most video games.
3: <laughs> yeah, usually if a video game is in development hell for ten years, you can pretty much write it off.
1: Yeah, this spent Not a good cough anthem cough. <laughs> that wasn't the year. Uh, I, I, I said usually. Years. Yeah. <laughs> All right.
0: <laughs> so, so, jumping in real quick, the Blade Runner sequel novels were written by K.W. Jeter.
3: Mm-hmm. And he claims to be a friend of Philip K. Dick. I don't know if it's true or not, but like I said, they, they, they do seem to be more cashing in on the popularity of Blade Runner. Than actually trying to follow up on Dick's work.
0: We may cover those at a later time.
3: I've never read them I hadn't heard of them until I did a little little did a little reading.
0: Um, but anyway let's move on to our thoughts on how this movie impacts cyberpunk as a whole and what it adds if anything to the genre. I will start with uh, Greg.
5: Badge for the genre would be that it continued on where it had left off and tried to answer some of the questions from the original Blade Runner. If it answered them is speculation, because truthfully it just created more questions Um, as to the second part of that.
4: Uh, I I will add to this. Don't you just hate it when a, a sequel... Uh, answers the questions from the, the original film only to have those an- mm. answers create more questions.
1: Exactly. exactly.
5: Pain in the butt.
3: <laughs> well, you know, it'll be freaking 2049 or like 2045 or something <laughs> before <laughs> we get a third one.
0: Yeah, well, Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs>
3: I got a phone call. What, what happened?
2: What'd y'all discuss about one I
0: well, we've started our discussion on what Blade Runner 2049 has added to um, Cyberpunk genre. as a whole and how it affects the genre. The
5: yeah. okay. great thing about how it affects the genre is that for this particular storyline, it opens up the idea that replicants and humans can have children together and it the child will be... Basically a, um, I hate to say half breed, but a, basically a half breed because are a cybernetic uh, type of a person where it has an advancement for humankind.
2: Well, the thing that they we can saw with the grow daughter, up, the thing that they can grow up instead of being stuck at one age is actually one of the most impressive aspects. Because normally when they're built for a specific design they won't vary in terms of uh, visible age for quite some time. But in this case, they actually went from a baby to a full-grown adult. That means they had to have gotten the minerals and produced the parts on themselves. Instead of having, like, say, a specialist who makes eyes, they grew their own, or manufactured their own.
0: And that might be because of its human DNA. Yeah, Mm. you know, you,
3: you can't look at replicants as being androids. They're more biological than that.
4: Yeah, and from, and from what I am trying to understand from this discussion is that it, it almost seems as though replicants in the Blade Runner universe are... Their mechanics, their their cybernetics are... It almost seems more organic in nature, more natural.
2: Well, they grow them, yes. Like, the guy who makes the eyes grows the eyes and designs them carefully, um, as you see in the first film. Um, where you see them, like, frozen, yes, but he actually does have, like, a lot of organic growing plants and bacteria stuff around him mm-hmm. in the place. He obviously grows them. Um, and it carefully cultivates them, almost like a a, uh, a farmer who has a genetically engineered fruit, um, he genetically engineers eyes and grows them artificially. Like, we do artificial organs growth right now, we're still working on. In this case, it's a universe where they kind of perfected that. Mm-hmm. <inaudible> it's so good that okay. it even tricks humans into being able to produce offspring with them. Yeah. Uh, by the genetic code, is so close that it could actually cause meiosis, which mm. again, that is impressive.
3: Yeah, Replicants are actually closer to clones than they are to androids. That's why in
2: the the quote we even said, a clone of Rachel. There's a reason that term was used.
5: The first movie, they led you to understand that the replicants in some way are more human than actual humans. That is their motto. I would say the
2: Nexus 7 especially, but each model is different. The Nexus 7's got the closest. And uh I mean, as far as we know, you know, especially depending on the version of the film, we don't actually know if Decker is or is not. And there's a lot of ambiguity, especially in the some some cuts of the film more than there is in others. <laughs> hmm So uh some of them it's very blatant he is a replicant even though that's not the initial film's take on it, it was more ambiguous um, and even the director has done, if, if you have stuff of the author stuff the director himself slash writer led into that also <laughs> which which can be an issue And if you're just using the work itself as a basis um, you have to be careful what you listen to for the person who wrote it because what you actually see in the work should be your guiding factor more than what the person says about the work outside
5: of that uh, k dick in the original book he was actually human but yes he did like to play with the idea of making you think throughout the book that he was in wasn't. Uh, yes. a
3: couple chapters So um, that's more of a conversation for about the book than anything
2: yeah that'll be next week we are doing that
3: yes <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, um it's interesting because blade runner cozies up to the border between cyberpunk and transhumanism without actually crossing the border.
2: <laughs> yes. And it doesn't have as much of the punk aspects in the original film, but there's way more of that here than there is in, in the original, which I, I, I very much appreciate. Especially mm-hmm. just how bad the slums look in this film. Where just people stocked on stocked on top of people, on top of people, on top of people. That's this film shows that more than the original does because hmm. the, the way that they were able to pull off some of the scenes in the original film was by having uh, all these wonderful um, like paintings that continued off the top of buildings. So they put all this stuff on the building and then at a certain point, it just became a painting of hmm. that. And it works so well. Um, like it was so impressive that every other film wanted to do that of the time period if they could get away with it. Um, Even if they couldn't, they tried, and sometimes the detriment of the film especially. Um, But this one, they can actually do it. The graphics can pull it off, and there's no way they could have pulled off some of the city scenes in this film back in the 70s and 80s. There's just no way. Possible way.
3: Speaking of the book... Even with with the sets. (laughs) Speaking of the book, it's pretty obvious that they went back to the original source when making this movie. So many elements from the book that were removed for the original Blade Runner were put back in for this movie.
0: Ah. Well, and we talked about this on, um, our Blade Runner podcast, but, um, you have to remember, uh, Ridley Scott and the screenwriter, is it David Webb Peoples or something like that? Anyway, um, You have to remember, neither of them read the book.
1: Well,
3: (laughs) some elements, I mean, some elements were obviously used from the book. But yeah, they basically inserted it into their own little um, world building when they made the original. But um, the people behind this one took that almost back to to stats, read the book, and decided oh, we could add this, 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 and this from the book.
1: Yes, I completely agree. I'm um, just wondering how many of the things from the original Blade Runner movie were not directly lifted from a book, and it was just happenstance that they happened to decide to do something identical to what was in the book, independent of the actual influence material. There are so, Quite a few. There are
3: so many scenes... In the original Blade Runner, which are almost verbatim from the book, that somebody at least had to have leaf- leafed through a chapter or two and said, okay, we can take this. <laughs> well, I mean, they did even,
2: they, like, they cared enough about it that they sent a <coughs> early preview copy to Philip K. Dick to actually let him watch it, so. Hmm. Um, but a, a lot of other things, he was not happy about it when he heard about it, for obvious reasons, but then again, he wasn't on a best of health at the time um so mentally or physically uh but when it was getting close to the end there um but uh they did not they outright took scenes from the book and put them implemented them to one degree or another but they didn't go quite as far into the social satire and kind of religion and other stuff that we'll talk Mm -hmm. about next week uh and emotion so uh so, uh, sociopaths, like we'll get into that, because that's that's a huge, huge, part of, like the lack of empathy stuff was related yeah. to
3: sociopaths. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. Like, what kind of person would be able to do these things?
3: And that was
2: losing their mind. That was
3: something they kind of put in back into this movie with the uh, the lead antagonist of Love.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: She is yes. very non-empathetic towards anything. She's and she considers herself superior to everything. Else else hmm. i'm the uh, best out
2: of
5: her mouth she says it
3: mm-hmm <laughs> yeah. and um
5: well she was else. designed to be
3: yes this is true
2: which i i will uh, uh some of you at home and some of you in the podcast may get this joke but uh some of you may not so love every time i re-watch the film i have to remind myself that's her name because to me i always just keep calling her mercy <laughs> And if you don't know what I mean, that's fine. Um, the, the reference, because I will explain the reference anyway. Uh, in Batman the Inmate series, as well as in the uh, comics, the uh, main bodyguard is a cybernetic slash robot called Mercy. She's female. She's badass. She has no, like, no empathy. That um, was in Superman, is, not Batman, wasn't it? Works for Lex Luthor. Yes. Luke's, works for Lex Luthor. She's his bodyguard. hmm
0: uh-huh. Yeah, you said Batman.
2: Um, But she reminds me a lot of her because she'll be super friendly and nice and then try and kill you at the drop of a hat. And she doesn't actually seem to show any empathy. The only time she gets annoyed is one time she's fighting as Lois Lane, I think, and they're both at each other's hair. But hmm. um, for the most part, that's... But yeah, (laughs) Um,
3: having just read the book two days ago, I was rather—I was rather remarkable on how much that sh- that love was very much like Pris uh, uh, was in the book. So yes, I was
2: because like Chris, I Chris was didn't like. Kristen anything like she did in the film, mm-hmm. except for when she was sitting next to the toy maker and the rest of that. For one scene, yep. and that's it. There's like one scene that's kind of like it at his house, and his house being kind of off the beaten path. It higher up in the building. Yeah, okay, that stuff all matches. But a lot of it yeah. doesn't. You know? um,
3: but then they also added a whole area that was basically covered in what is or was radioactive dust, which was a big thing in the book.
1: Mm. Um, yes.
2: I'll, and uh, Even even though it wasn't a frog, it was a dog mm-hmm. in 2049. It's like, is it real? I don't know. Well, yeah, in the book, he thought it We found a, a real thing. It
3: called out to him like the guy on the moon and We'll get to that next week, but um, but <laughs> it's just that down, all those all those little side references pretty much led me to believe okay somebody reread the book somebody somebody also, um, when you say that sorry I
2: was gonna, one last interruption
3: and also
2: when Kay landed because he was taken down by the harpoon and the crowd was coming up we're starting to throw things we're about to attack him it reminded me exactly of that nightmare that the main character was having in the book. With the crowd coming after him to punish him, um, reminded me exactly of that. Mm. As he was having like a vision, getting hit by rocks, as he was crawling up over the rock, broken rocks of the rubble. Just a thought. Well, we'll get although, into
3: that next. Although time. that, that does lead me to <laughs> another comment. Yeah. As a former resident of San Diego, I am offended that they turned the entire city of San Diego into a landfill.
1: Just saying. <laughs> <singing. laughs> it's an improvement. <laughs> right.
0: So I'm just going to go down the list here and try and get these thoughts because we are about 20 minutes till we got to do something else and I need to hear from everyone. So we got Greg's uh, Greg. Alright. Um I mean I'm much on the same line as uh, our dad. Um I do feel like it raised more questions than answered uh overall for the whole genre of Cyberpunk. I don't think uh I don't think uh yeah. Has much of an impact as Blade Runner did to the cyberpunk uh, genre as a whole. I guess it was more just revisiting and updating it.
1: All right. Um, Barry? So, um... I have never actually seen that particular movie, and having not seen it and just hearing the conversation, I'm wondering, because you mentioned um, it's possible for a replicant and a human to procreate with each other, and I remember in the original Blade Runner, their planned obsolescence, their time limit, is there still a time limit for replicants in 2049 or did they get rid of that
3: uh the new
1: right replicants
3: have no have no time limit or their time limit is set by the corporation well ah. uh, um
2: uh, actually hold on i can answer this hmm. um did you watch i did yes the supplementary 5 minute videos there were two of them Uh, the committee that deals with the rules that banned the creation of Android. For some reason. Um.
1: I'm sorry, but like, uh, my connection got clogged up for uh, a few seconds. seconds of that. that was going off. Can uh, you say that again, please? Because which, I'm. Which, y- which you said the committee, and you kind of cut out, and then you were like triple speed.
2: Oh, yes. I don't know why Discord does that. It's annoying. um, Sorry, what I was saying was that the uh, committee, Wallace was meeting with the committee to decide upon uh, trying to get androids back out there because they were banned after the blackout, which we didn't really talk about the blackout much. I'm guessing some kind of EMP slash uh, nuclear weapons based on
3: the radiation. It it sounds like a nuke went off in Vegas and the EMP probably hit the Los Angeles area.
2: Just yes, based on the movie, it was close all right. Especially if it was high enough up. Um, but anyway, sorry. My entire point was, during that, uh, he was talking about how long they last, and said as long as the company can afford for it. So, so the more expensive models last a lot longer. Uh, wow. Since the uh, medic that we see killed in the first part of the film, they wanted him to be a doctor for very long period of time and to help out with injuries for a long period of time, they probably made it so that he would keep being, keep being able to do that for as long as possible. So they got the longest, uh, the longest live they could get based on that. It's just, he ran off and the 2048 uh, five minute video actually shows what happened with him and how he got found out because he helped someone and protected a human and because he loves helping people, like that's his primary thing. So he mm. helped someone out, and when he helped them out, he threw the person, and they hit a car, and the car moved back. And everyone realized he was super strong. It's Whoops. like, oh no! Like he, 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 worked a little too hard to save the person, and kind of gave up the fact he was uh, a replicant. I I, but, I still uh,
3: wonder who at the corporation thought yeah. it was a good idea to use Dave Batista as an archetype <laughs> for a doc. Um,
2: probably. Probably based on some person, I'm guessing, but also he's military. So they wanted someone who looked like he could be tough military kind of guy. Because even though he's a doctor, I'm sure he still had had to fight and kill people and things like that. Because hmm. um, unlike our actual medical group, which doesn't normally carry firearms when they're protecting and saving people um, because they're under the Red Cross... Um, if they did pull out their MC-16s, then suddenly they'd be a target like anyone else, as my dad would say, since he was an army medic. But um, yeah. because of that, they probably picked someone who was looked like a soldier type, which they oh. Batiste is big enough and strong enough. I could see also to, because he was supposed to be fighting against someone else, so they wanted someone who was strong, All just right. like they did for the original film. I'm um, sorry, but basically, long story short is that the Nexus 7s are one thing, the Nexus 9s are another entirely. We do not know how long they're supposed to live. Mm. And since Wallace thinks himself a god, I would say probably a very long time.
1: All
0: right. So, um... Barry, do you have...
1: Going off of that, do you have any formulation of opinion? Um... I mean, the only thing I got to reply to that with is anyone that's got half a brain for tactics knows that uh, your first target should be the healer. So, yeah, that makes sense. Aside from that, uh, I think that answers my questions. Okay.
2: Um, Also, the life extension surgery in the original film um, was a thing that could cause you to live a normal uh, length of life. mm -hmm. But it had to be done early on in the creation of a replicant, as Tyrell admitted himself. That's part of the reason why they killed Tyrell, So it's too late. A uh, plane that burns twice as hot burns half as long, yeah. and you've burned ever so bright, haven't you,
0: boy? Okay. <laughs> Moving on, uh, I personally feel like this movie did add the whole idea of whether or not what... I mean, they're called replicants, but they're more or less androids or clones. I I felt that it really kinda added into the genre the idea that they can reproduce with humans and that we can see these genetic kind of genetically altered humanoid or human offspring. Um as for the movie itself, I feel that, you know, it was a very good sequel to Blade Runner, but they're could always be room for improvements i'm not gonna get into always. yeah i'm not gonna get into specifics um since we're getting close to time and we need to do our outro soon matt
2: okay um my thoughts are that this film uh as you were saying very good sequel um are there some issues yeah mostly with some of the pacing or a few th- few scenes that should have been left in instead of put into a supplementary work. I think the five-minute segment should have been in the film, because it helps set up Wallace earlier in the film than we see him in the actual uh, release, as well as that of Dave Pautista's character, saving the person, showing why he ended up being hunted. That could have been like before the film starts, like a uh, cold open with that. Uh, And then showing up there, he is showing up at the farm you know, apparently they decide not to do that. And what it is. Um, I guess two time jumps in the intro is probably why they switched it off. Otherwise, I think that one of my favorite parts about the film is they don't explain Decker, like, over in detail. Meaning, if, no matter what your thoughts were on if he was human or an android created for Rachel to get them together, it does not matter in the film in terms of the way that it works pacing-wise or characterization-wise. I think it's better if he is a human uh, for it, but if he's not, it doesn't change the story because it's still incredible that they can actually produce an offspring, even if it's two replicants. Two replicants having an offspring is still amazing, and it means that the other replicants might be able to do the same in time. All
3: right, um, Randy? well, You know, the original Blade Runner pretty much got the ball rolling for Cyberpunk. This just kind of takes the ball and just carries it another 10 yards. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really make substantive changes. It adds a little bit to the mythos, but nothing totally substantive to the genre in general. Thus saying, it's not a bad movie. It's a great movie. I love it. Um, In
4: other other words, it it just, it, it, uh, Toss the ball 10 yards instead of kicking it 20.
3: It didn't, you know, the original Blade Runner pretty much created cyberpunk. The Japanese ate it up like nothing, and it inspired a billion anime. Um, and it affected and, and every, will... every other person's work since then. This you're not going to see changing the face of cyberpunk like that did.
0: Yeah, we will get into that next week. Um, but you feel it really didn't add much to the genre as a whole.
3: As a whole, no. All right to the Blade Runner mythos, yes, it added some twists.
0: Right. But
3: to the genre, not really.
0: Gotcha, Sammy.
1: Basically everything that Randy just said, <laughs> like right. he took he took what I wanted to say almost word for word. So what Randy just said. <laughs> All right. Um
0: telly Uh, how much it added to the genre
3: i'm not completely sure but uh i will say i'm glad to see somebody is actually doing a sequel that's not just for sequel's sake
0: yes and Wes,
4: uh i have not been that invested in the the, the blade runner series so I don't have much to say, um, given that the first Blade Runner, I will say, it it gives the cyberpunk genre that whole gritty noir kind of, or at least it kind of has like a kind of like almost gritty noir cyberpunk kind of thing to it. Mm-hmm. So it it does give you that capability of of having a gritty noir cyberpunk. Uh, sub franchise or sub thing going on uh, and the 2048 2049, what the, the movie that we were talking, that we're talking mm-hmm. about now um, it doesn't really add much, you know, again, like uh, Randy said, it doesn't add much to cyberpunk as a whole because what, it, what it's doing is just actually adding instead of adding to cyberpunk as a whole, <clears throat> it's adding to the fr- that the specific franchise of cyberpunk uh, that is a, a cyberpunk uh, setting-based thing of the Blade Runner franchise.
0: All right. So that's our thoughts. Uh, Barry, where can we find you?
1: You can find me... Uh... At KHZHAK on YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. And for the most part, I uh, don't really do much content myself. But if you look at the related channels and the channels I host, um, or uh, it's mostly replies on Twitter, stuff like that, I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's uh, the short version. Who's next? All right. Um, Randy.
3: Uh, Yeah, you can find me Wednesday nights at 10ish p.m. on an earthly podcast where we talk about all things Doctor Who. And then you can find me lunchtime starting at 1130, streaming with Barry and our friends Aaron and Matt, as we go through Borderlands or uh, Phasmophobia or Conan Exiles or something like that.
0: Tilly. You can find me... uh
3: on youtube at uh, melody's place if you want want to see more of me or hear more of me i should say uh we have or i do uh uh minecraft mainly actually all minecraft so
4: something that sounds like you'd like come give me a come give me a look
0: all right greg
5: not really online that much so you won't find me anywhere right. <laughs> except for here every once in a while.
0: Um, so for the rest of us, you can find us. Gen Cyberpunk Pod. Our YouTube is uh, Generation Cyberpunk, and we have a Redbubble where you can get an awesome Generation Cyberpunk face mask. Just search Gen Cyberpunk Pod on Redbubble. Uh, if you want to hear more from our group, check out the Thanks for Nothing podcast on the FML, FML Productions YouTube channel. We also do various D and D campaigns there, and are in the process of making an animation. Uh, if you want to donate, we do have a coffee link in the description of the Thanks for Nothing podcast. Uh, all donations are welcome, but by no means necessary. Next week, we will cover and, uh, Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep. And until then, we will see you later, Cyberpunks. We,
4: we.